I gotta say, every time that A24 logo pops up at the beginning of a trailer, my mind instantly is a little more attracted to the film in hand. Between A Ghost Story and It Comes at Night, I gotta say that's definitely continuing in 2017. Whether or not Free Fire lives up to that standard, that remains to be seen, but we'll get there. Welcome to the Cricket Table Podcast, this is Rob. On this episode, we're going to be reviewing director Ben Wheatley's new action comedy, Free Fire. This film is the latest release from independent distributor A24. For those of you unaware, um, A24 is basically the company behind just about every intriguing, startlingly different, low-budget film that you've heard of since its inception in 2013, and its first release, A Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan III. In fact, in both 2015 and 2016, there's been at least one A24 film that made my top 10 films of that of those years, with Room and Moonlight, for example. Uh, and you can find the links to my top 10 of those years in the show notes below. So before we delve into Free Fire with our usual review format, we'll take a look at the most original A24 releases to date with a little segment I like to call Let's Talk About Six. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about flicks and me. Let's talk about what the good films and the bad films are to me. Let's talk about six. Let's talk about six. So first, let's establish some ground rules. This isn't some anarchic society we're running at the Crooked Table Podcast. In order to qualify for this ranking of the most original A24 films, I had to have seen the films in question. So if I'm missing your favorite A24 film, please forgive me. I still have some catching up to do. I haven't seen them all yet. If you look at their filmography, it's actually pretty extensive. Considering they've only been around a few years, the number of films that they've come out with are definitely in the dozens. And um, that's quite an output for such a young production house. Um, but anyway, I'm, the ranking here doesn't also doesn't necessarily reflect the order in which I appreciate the films. Um, actually, some of my favorite ones did not make this list just because we're listing them not by how much uh, how much I love them or how, whether you know which are my favorites that kind of thing. I'm listing them based on how visionary or how distinctive they are from the usual cinematic experience. What I really like about A24, as I've established already in this first couple minutes of this episode is that they they have a real a really keen eye for for putting films out there that are are very different and sort of outside the box in their approach to uh, to certain genres in the uh, the tone or the atmosphere that they portray in looking at themes and uh, and stories from completely different angles than a lot of this a lot of cinema that has predated it sort of delivering something fresh and, and in this world of sequels and reboots and spin-offs and I mean we just talked about the fate of the furious um on last week's episode A24 for better or worse consistently delivers original properties and 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 tries to to put something new and and different into the into the uh into the cinematic experience whereas you know the rest of we've fallen into the franchise fatigue at this point so whenever anything comes out that that looks at stories and characters in a completely different way um that's always something that's interesting to me so moving into number six ex machina this is the film uh from director alex garland stars oscar isaac donald gleason and alicia vikander actually won oscar for best visual best visual effects which is pretty impressive considering how how minimalist 
uh, those were. And the, the visual effects were very subtle in getting Alicia Vikander to play this android who who may or may not have ulterior motives and and sort of the uh, the dynamic between those three characters that evolves over the over the course of the film this was actually i think my third or fourth uh favorite movie of 2015 um just because it did take those themes of of technology and uh what it means to be human that we've seen uh, addressed a time and time again from pretty much any sci-fi movie um i mean from Terminator to The Matrix to all this stuff, um, this film takes those basically just has three characters in a single setting, and it's sort of a, a psychological chess game going on between the three of them of trying to figure out what each of them is is motivated by and what their objectives are, and and the way that that plays out, the way that it's really a psychological thriller slash character study sort of masquerading as a sci-fi movie was really interesting to me. And I know Alex Garland has a new film coming out, I believe, later this year called uh, Annihilation. And I'm definitely looking forward to checking that out because if Ex Machina is any indication of what he can do, we have some some really good, um, interesting content ahead. Moving into number five, this is Enemy from Denis Villeneuve. And that is, of course, the guy who did Arrival and the director and the filmmaker who's coming back to do... Uh, Blade Runner, as well as Sicario, and then now he's doing uh, the second one. I don't know if he's directing that. I forgot. I feel I forget who. I don't. Th- I think he's just producing that. But still, the man from Sicario and Prisoners, Arrival, and all that, who's now become basically pegged as the next uh, Christopher Nolan. But Enemy sees Jake Gyllenhaal, who also appeared in Prisoners for the for Denis Villeneuve, playing dual role roles as this man who's realizes he's watching an old film and he sees a doppelganger of someone who looks exactly like him, which is what a doppelganger is, I guess, um, and, and tracks him down to try and, and figure out uh, what, you know, if they're related or or what the deal is there. And I don't want to get into spoilers for this film, but the, it's probably one of the most, uh, not convoluted, but most abstract in some ways, psychological again this is a psychological thriller i guess uh thrillers in recent memory i've seen entire videos on youtube chris stockman did a really good one um breaking down what the symbolism of the film is and exactly what's going on because it is one of those films that when you watch it you aren't exactly sure what the hell you're seeing i mean this is whole thing with this giant spider that they cut to a few times throughout the film and and you know and um in, in very pivotal moments i'm trying not to give anything away for those of you who have not seen it and that's probably a lot of you considering it wasn't exactly a box office smash but i would definitely check it out i um upon my initial viewing i i wasn't even sure if i liked the film it's one of those that's um that you have to kind of sit on and and watch it let it simmer for a little bit and then go online and read a bunch of articles being like wait what the hell did i just see what does that mean and then you can start to appreciate the uh the artistry and style that's that's gone into um villeneuve's filmmaking as well as well as gyllenhaal's really layered performance and this came out i believe around the same time maybe the same year as nightcrawler or the year before um and and gyllenhaal's done some stellar work in recent years and it's ridiculous to me that he hasn't gotten an Oscar nomination for Night... That he didn't get one for Nightcrawler. He didn't get one for this. Because he's been delivering constantly good performances. Same thing from Villeneuve. And if you're a fan of either of them, maybe seen some of their other films, especially Villeneuve's, who's now, like I said, breaking into the mainstream, uh, I'd definitely go back and check this out. 
Number four, we're looking at The Witch. Um, I think we had an episode of the podcast early last year where Freddie came on and broke down how disappointed he was by this, talking about that uh, you know it wasn't scary at all, that it was really boring, and my experience was totally different. I don't know if I, I don't know if I talked about that on here. I believe I did a, I believe I did talk about it on here somewhere. Yeah, and Matumba, actually, it, it may have made my top. It made my top ten of 2016. So I have to revise my top ten of 2016 a little bit. So we'll see if it stays on there or gets pushed to honorable mention by the time you're listening to this episode. But the witch is uh, is definitely not for quote unquote horror fans who are really in it for jump scares and gore and that kind of thing. This is a period piece set in the 1600s or so and it's like a puritan family who gets cast out of their village and trying to trying to start a new life basically on their own and the their infant child gets gets uh well goes missing i won't get into spoilers and it's it delves into a lot of uh religious themes and it's kind of grappling with uh with morality versus religion and society's putting pressure on on uh, on your your virtue and that kind of thing and does so in a really interesting way that's um that's really capturing the uh, the period setting here uh the dialogue is all very you know very much very accent very accented and very uh very much tailored to the the vibe that they're trying to create with recreating you know that puritan age and and uh and what people t- really talked like back then, and um, the film also gives us not only is it a, is a directorial debut by Robert Eggers, it also was sort of the breakthrough performance for Anya Taylor Joy, who's since been in Split and a bunch of other things. And I I found the real the film really effective and really haunting. In fact, it still sticks with me. And and uh, if you haven't seen it, I would definitely give it a chance. Don't be uh, turned off by the haters that are that have been saying that it's not scary it's just it's it's a, such a slog to watch blah 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 because if you go into it expecting you know uh, i don't know the conjuring or something or nightmare on elm street or something halloween like a basically a standard like put it on on a friday night and make a bunch of popcorn and jump you know jump scares like i said uh you will be disappointed but if you go into it expecting a period set psychological thriller I said psychological a few times, but it really does play on a lot of the themes that were prevalent in the minds of the people of the that era, and in that way, it feels like a a time capsule of a different age. You know, whether or not there are supernatural elements at play, I'm going to let you watch the film and check out. But definitely worth watching, and probably one of the most different horror films I've seen in recent years. Moving into number three, this is sort of a horror film, thriller, drama. It's hard to categorize. Other than sci-fi, I guess. Under the Skin. And uh, this one features Scarlett Johansson as an alien being. Well, I mean, it's an alien being in Scarlett Johansson's body. And this is from director Jonathan Glazer. The film is done in such a an minimalist way that there's actually very, very few actors in it. Other than Scarlett Johansson, that most of the characters, in fact, are played by non-actors. And it's Scarlett Johansson was, you know, filming, films interacting with them with hidden cameras, um, sort of remaining in character the whole time. And it's just kind of her wandering around and 
interacting with different men and luring them back to her hideaway so that she can devour them something um the the film itself is very very abstract and very not hard to follow because the plot is just kind of her a series of encounters with this creature and it, it uh it doesn't really spell very much out but there's a lot of subtext that you can read into it as far as you know um you know the way the female body is 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 viewed or uh objectification and um all kind there's a lot of there's a lot of themes and this is another one sort of like enemy in that you're going to want to watch it and then go and read articles written about what it has to say about gender what it has to say, gender identity what it has to say about feminism or the role of women and rape culture and all that there's a lot of stuff going on um within this film that that isn't really on the surface again this is another one like i said up at the top this is not a list ranking my favorite A24 films. In fact, like Enemy, I was sort of on the fence of like, did I even enjoy this? Was this was this a film that I that I would quote recommend? Um, and I'm not sure how much I'm not sure if Under the Skin really worked for me. But regardless, it's hard to deny the fact that it is sh shockingly different than any other film on Scarlett Johansson's resume. I mean, this is the same person that plays Black Widow every other year. And here she's really taking a, a uh, creative risk. And the film, the way it's depiction of uh, of the of an alien species, of what that alien is up to, and the music, the score by Mika Levy, who did the score for Jackie, was nominated last year for, for that, is really creepy. And I will defend the score, if not the film itself. Uh, it's just it's an interesting experience. Again, not not most of these are, are original can be translated into really kind of weird and out there. So this is not the kind you want to like. Oh, it's a sci-fi movie, but Scarlett Johansson plays an alien. Blah blah. It's like this is not Lucy or Ghost in the Shell or or any of the other any of these like Angelina Jolie, Scarlett Johansson, Charlize Theron sci-fi thrillers. This is not that kind of movie at all. Um, but if you're looking for something a little different, a little experimental. Under the skin is probably it's probably a, a a safe bet. Moving into number two, the lobster. Now this one is a really different one. Um, this is from Yorgos Lanthimos, is a Greek director who's probably best known for the film Dog Tooth, which I saw a few years ago based on a recommendation from a friend, and and that was an interesting film, but uh, I I think the lobster takes his his sort of bizarre whimsy to a whole nother level uh this one has colin farrell as this man who's who is basically in the society where single people have 45 days to find a mate or they turn into an animal of their choice and if that if that premise in and of itself sounds ridiculous then you're 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 right on track for for what the lobster's trying to get across because the film basically uses that kind of ridiculous setup as a satirical allegory for the pressures of relationships and there's and and how you know society puts society puts this time limit on oh you you need to meet the man you need to meet a man or a woman and settle down and raise a family and blah 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 and uh, i think that a lot of people you know in our in my age group 20s and 30s are are really they might appreciate this the most because they're they're um kind of in the midst of that but i mean it really kind of takes that premise 
and uh, and rings it for all it's worth. It takes a pretty drastic shift halfway through the film and becomes something a little bit different, a little a little deeper in some ways. Uh, but the first half for me was where a lot of the the black comedy really stuck out, stuck out, stuck out. I don't know what that is. Really stuck out and uh, and was was really kind of fun. If you like uh, that t- kind of tongue in cheek humor, I will also probably caution that the movie does go really dark in some places. So if you're expecting you know your your traditional comedy, you'll probably be turned off by this one. But there's a lot of interesting things interesting points that this movie does make that um, th- that you might you might if you are a certain kind of viewer really relate to and uh, and recognize kind of the in some ways genius of what this film is trying to accomplish of course it was nominated for uh, best original screenplay at the Oscars last year which it, which it lost but it's uh, it's heartening to see films like this being recognized by the Academy because it really does take a lot of chances and it's pretty much as far from a traditional romantic comedy as um as you're likely to find and uh, really really standout performance uh, supporting performance by rachel weiss as well so moving into number one the most original a24 film at least of the ones that i've seen and I've, i'd like to think i've seen some of the strangest ones it's got to be swiss army man uh those of you who have seen this film I uh, would probably have to agree that the Daniel Radcliffe farting corpse movie, as this was known uh, during the festival circuit, is just about as batshit crazy as a movie a movie as, as I've ever seen. And yet somehow it works. This was actually, of this list of six, this is one of the other ones that I actually did enjoy quite a bit. It didn't quite make my top ten uh, last year. But it was easily probably top 20 or so. Um, this film stars Paul Dano as a man stranded on an island who's hanging him, about to hang himself to commit suicide. And a body washes up on shore. So, he, of course, he runs over to the body to see what's going on, to see if they can help the guy, blah, blah, blah. And it turns out to be a corpse who's alive and farts and he uses it as a jet ski. <laughs> Literally, that's the first five minutes of the movie, not spoiling anything. So uh, he t- he goes on to use this corpse as as a tool to survive, hence the Swiss Army Man. And the, just the film delves into so many. It's it's like it's like uh, both strange and insightful and creepy and beautiful all at the same time. And I don't even know how that's possible. There are some things that happen in the second half where when like when you find out exactly what is happening or what's going on um the film has some pretty profound pretty profound points to make about loneliness and about um love and about belonging and 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 uh, again really delving into someone's really delving into its lead character's head incredible performance by Daniel Radcliffe. I I personally would have nominated him for something for best supporting actor for this because it's not easy to play a dead guy who has to emote as much as possible without but still keep his face uh still and still you know deadpan it enough. I don't know if deadpan's the right word. Well, pun intended for deadpan at least. <sighs> like express himself 
and emote, but without moving many of his face muscles because he's supposed to be a, a dead body. So he really commits to that performance and gives a beautifully physical performance. Paul Dano here, who's done some incredible work in the past, uh, I'm thinking specifically of Love and Mercy, where he, pray, he played a young Brian Wilson. He was so great in that film. Also from, he was also in Prisoners, the Denis Villeneuve movie, talking about him earlier. Uh, but Swiss Army Man is just such a strange, weird movie and one that really kind of charmed me by the end with everything that it had to say and and the way that it's ending. It's just like, yeah, fuck you, people. Fuck you. We're, we're just, this is, we're, we're, we're just going all out there. And this is from two filmmakers, Daniel Scheinart and Daniel Kwan, who are build them, call themselves Daniels. And this is their first film. So I'm really excited to see what they have coming up um, next, just because this film is so different, like, I, I can't even... Uh, some of the other ones on this top six most original A24 films... Yeah, yeah, I've seen stuff sort of sim... Sort of like Ex Machina, sort of like Enemy, sort of like... Not not like The Lobster, but taking a similar allegorical spin on a, you know, modern social norm. And Swiss Army Man, I can't think of anything that, that comes... I mean, that I've seen. Maybe some of you... Send me a tweet at Crooked Table if you've can think of something most well, army man's totally totally like this movie from the 80s or something let me know uh i actually drove out of my way to go and find this at a theater because i'd heard so many so much about it and i, I had to see it for myself and uh if you are at all interested in pushing the in in filmmakers that push the limits of what cinema can do and really take it to really bizarre twisted but also kind of moving in a way places then i would definitely check out swiss army man highly recommend it for at least at least to check it out i mean i'm not saying that you're gonna like it or not because it's probably one of the most divisive films i've ever seen with good reason because it is really strange but those of you that see it you're either gonna love it or you're either gonna hate it i mean i think it's pretty much one extreme or the other because the film itself is so extreme in in uh, in in its tone, in its attitude, in in how vigorously it pursues the the point that it's trying to get at and what it's trying to say. Um, so highly recommended. That's our number one for uh, for most original A twenty four films. Swiss Army Man. Some of the honorable mentions that I did um, that I films that I have seen by A twenty four that I considered for this list. Room, which I really love, which was on my top ten of twenty fifteen. Uh, great performance from Brie Larson in that. We'll get to Brie Larson later when we talk about, in a few minutes, when we talk about Free Fire. Moonlight, which I've already talked about. You can listen to the uh, the episode where I discuss Moonlight in, in incredible depth uh, in the show notes. The link to that, that podcast episode from back in the day. And also Locke with uh, Tom Hardy. Basically an hour and a half of Tom Hardy driving a car and talking on the phone and yet somehow it's compelling i don't know if that is a testament to tom hardy's acting ability to how tight the script is probably a combination of the two but those were some of the honorable mentions that probably if i were if it was let's talk about nine those probably would have been the other ones that would have snuck onto the list so that brings us to our feature presentation our review of free fire check out the merch that's not what he ordered Fuck, really? We ordered M16s, different weapon. I'm not running a fucking pizza delivery service. Keep your shit together. You want the weapons or you don't want the weapons? 
So if you're just joining us and haven't listened to the last five or six episodes, let me tell you a little bit about the format for the way we've been doing our feature presentation reviews. We were gonna we're going to discuss the hype, the story, the cast, the production, and then finally the verdict. So moving into the hype. This is the latest film from director Ben Wheatley. It was executive produced by Martin Scorsese, among others, and it features an ensemble cast. Basically, this was sold as a satire and social commentary about gun violence, exploring it through a essentially a feature-length shootout. Um, I haven't seen any of Wheatley's films to date, but I heard pretty interesting things about High Rise, and of course with A24's seal of intrigue on it and such a charismatic cast, not to mention, not to mention that pretty fun trailer that you heard just a moment ago. Free Fire appeared to be a stylish bit of tongue-in-cheek action that could prove to be a good time. Taking a fairly fresh approach to storytelling, much like Hardcore Henry, which also starred Charlton Copley, and putting a new spin on action movie mechanics. So, the question is, does it live up to the A24 standard, and is it fun to watch? Let's move into the story. Unfortunately, like Hardcore Henry, you can see my review in the show notes for that, Free Fire is a great idea that essentially proves why most stories just don't use this device very often. And we're going to go into spoilers here, I mean, such as there are any. Screenwriters Wheatley and Amy Jump uh, put together an action comedy here set in 1970s Boston, though the city doesn't really have anything to do with it, but apparently it is set in Boston, about an arms deal gone wrong, and it all takes place in this one location in an abandoned factory. And it's basically of the first half hour or so is really devoted to introducing you to the characters, their dynamics, their loyalties or lack thereof, uh, what side they're on, who, what they're in it for, that kind of thing. And generally giving a sense of who they are. So in my opinion, this was the film's first mistake because none of these characters are really interesting enough to me that you need 30 minutes of an 85 minute movie to establish who they are. Moreover, the film doesn't really even ask you to care about them very much anyway. Plot wise, there's not a lot, there's not a whole lot going on here. Uh, the whole gunfight basically starts off, the trailer would have you believe that it's because of the arms deal and they brought the wrong weapons, that kind of thing. That does happen, obviously, but it really starts off because there's apparently a sexual predator in the group who assaulted the cousin of someone from the opposite side, and it all gets, all of that is actually pretty serious thematically, to the point that to me it didn't really fit in with the tone of what they're going for with the movie. Uh, granted, it's supposed to be a black comedy, but taking like an arms deal gone wrong and making it sort of uh, Looney Tunes-esque in that they're just shooting people everywhere and it's like almost acne bullets, uh, ac acne, acme bullets <laughs> being fired on both sides, that to me would have been a lot more interesting than bringing this weird like uh, darker element into it that, that kind of takes away from everything else going on for me. Um, Free Fire really does try to have its metaphorical cake and eat it too, in that the film doesn't really take any of the mayhem seriously, but yet it still features an operatic moment when the shooting starts, as if some something tragic has just occurred. And we're supposed to be like holding our breath, like, oh no, what has just happened? These people, something something horrible has gone wrong. It's like, no, we're not supposed to give a shit about any of these people or anything that's happening to them. They're all basically sort of terrible people. We're supposed to just roll with it. It's supposed to be a fun thrill ride type thing. So the fact that they they had this whole moment when the when the initial shot that kicks off the main rest of the film, uh, when that happens, making it such a, a pivotal moment the way that they did in the film, it was a weird decision to me for the movie to do that, especially since it purports itself to sort of be a satire of on-screen gun violence. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. 
Moving into the cast, so probably the biggest thing Free Fire has going for it is the actors that they've gotten together for this. Charlotte Copley, Army Hammer, Brie Larson, Killian Murphy, Jack Rayner, and a host of others really make the most of the material here. As I've mentioned, there's still not a whole lot of depth to the characters. Even with the 30 minutes of buildup, um, as the no-nonsense American businesswoman amidst a group of trigger-happy men, Larson, who of course earned an Oscar for A24's Room, which I mentioned earlier, and is set to debut as Captain Marvel at some point in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, she really rings every bit of personality she can out of the character. I mean, you can even hear in that clip that I played from the trailer that she really commits to it and easily emerges as a standout. I mean, I've been a fan of her since uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, and pretty much everything she's been in, she, she really does tend to... Change. She, she's really good at, at taking on different personalities and making you sort of do a double take. Wait, whether well, that was the same person? She, she uh, very much is very... She's proven in film after film how versatile she is. Same here goes for uh, Hammer and Rainer. Uh, they brought a lot of... A lot of uh, flair to the roles that they had here. I previously enjoyed both of them in films like The Man from U.N.C.L.E. and my beloved Sing Street, respectively. And both of them have such a keen understanding of the film that they're, the kind of film that they're in. And they really give it their all. Some of the best moments actually come from Rainer and Army Hammer. Um, those one-liners that, that come out of there. And uh, Hammer has actually consistently been in major films for years. But he has yet to really become a household name. I mean, hopefully he'll land eventually a superhero role because apparently in the industry these days that's what you need to uh, to make him a major star, or an Oscar. In the case of Brie Larson, when she got the Oscar, now she's got the superhero role. Um, but Army Hammer was supposed to play Batman back in the day. He's supposedly been up for a bunch of different ones. I could totally see him as Green Lantern in the DCEU at some point, but you know that's neither here nor there. Um, however, Army Hammer and Brie Larson and Jack Rayner were all, were all great, as well as Killian Murphy. Can't leave him out of there. He's pretty much great in anything, so it sort of goes without saying. He's been around and been doing such great work forever. Uh, but to me, the standout was really Charlotte Copley. Um, after breaking through in films like District 9, he continues to bring such a wacky and inherently likable presence to films like Elysium and uh, Hardcore Henry, which I mentioned already, and which you can see my, uh, read my, or see my video review in the, in the show notes for that. Uh, neither of which, Elysium and Hardcore Henry, neither of which I really liked, but he was the best thing about both of those films. And for me, without this cast, Free Fire would probably be a pretty forgettable experience. As far as the production, so having never seen one of Wheatley's films, I was immediately taken by the sense of style he brings to the screen. Right from the main titles, you can get a feel that there's, there is a distinct vision at play here. And that really goes back to what I was saying about A24 and how they are very much a filmmaker-driven um, filmmaker production house that really believes in creating something different and something new and something fresh and not something 100% derivative. And if there's anything I could say about Free Fire, that definitely is the case here. This does not feel like other action movies, even though it is sort of supposed to be an homage to these kinds of films and these kinds of uh, tones of films from the 70s and 80s. Hence, the period setting sort of plays into that a little bit. It, it does uh, it does create something uh, something different and something that has a very a very uh, sign singular vibe to it. And the gunfights here, of course, are all well shot and edited. Wheatley is clearly a competent director. Um, it's just a little irritating to me in the film how much cross-cutting goes on as far as we check on in the various people in the factory. I mean, you have the five or six main cast members, 
and then you have at least that many supporting characters that you're constantly jumping back and forth to see what everybody's doing and how much they're bleeding and where they got shot and blah 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 and to me i think that perhaps the action would have been better with fewer characters kind of trim that in half because a lot of the other side people that are not the main actors that i've mentioned a lot of them not all of them mind you there's two or three that are, are pretty fun to watch are egregiously undeveloped and kind of don't need to be there i feel like with fewer players that might have left more room for the tension to build and for the action to remain a lot more co uh, coherent throughout. Still, there's little to complain about production-wise. Um, the small scale of the film, the fact that it's all in one setting, I think lends it a nice gritty claustrophobia that works to its advantage. Uh, I just wish the film itself was more consistently engaging, though there are, you know, of course, fun moments and fun character beats here and there that that are that provide a nice, uh, you know break from the tension as much as there is tension in this because as i said you don't really have particular connection to very many of these characters so if they get shot or they die or whatever you're just like eh, there's other people it's, it moves along and i think that's kind of the point moving into the verdict this was sort of a shorter review just because there's not as much to talk about as in a logan or a moonlight or even a fate of the furious just because that has seven films of baggage to break down um, so Free Fire, as far as the movie itself, as a whole, those looking for a lot of shooting should enjoy all the gun, all the gunfights, or the, the gunfight as it is, because uh, it really is basically an hour-long gunfight after the 20 to 30 minutes of establishing who these people are and what's happening. The, after all, the film itself is pretty casual with how the, liberally the bullets spray throughout, but personally, I found myself losing interest in films with too much action or where the action doesn't feel personalized, even in films I like. I talked about this a little bit last episode uh, with The Fate of the Furious. Some of the like the submarine sequence towards the end, there's just so much going on, you don't even know what's happening or care. And since I didn't care about these characters, I didn't, you know, I didn't really have any emotional stakes in what was happening. Granted, you know, you're not supposed to have emotional stakes, but you're supposed to at least have enough fun or be engaged enough to to have any have to be invested in what's going on on screen basically so despite its apparent satirical edge and again uh, to me that didn't that didn't really seem to be there free fire doesn't really have anything to say it doesn't have much to say as far as a satire so or if it did it was very you know very obtuse um nor does it find enough juice really to keep the story in quotes interesting all the way through there isn't much of a story here there's basically the premise that you hear in the trailer and then something goes wrong there's a misunderstanding and then all shooting happens and all hell breaks loose and there's snipers and and it's, the question is who who's behind it and who's going to get out alive there's some fun comedic bits that are threaded in there, especially a lot of them on Charlotte Copley's end. There's this whole running gag with his suit and how it keeps getting shot, and he's upset about that. And he makes cardboard armor to protect infection. You, hear, you can hear that in the trailer. A lot of the best character moments, Army Hammer being uh, and some of his one-liners about masturbation or or about uh, you know just his like digs at people some of them are in the trailers but and some of them are you know they're sprinkled throughout the movie some of the really great lines but there wasn't enough to propel the movie forward or for the film to really rely on uh, and a hook 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 me in as a viewer again 
film and, and, and all art is subjective. So you, some some of you listening to this podcast might love this movie and it might be your favorite movie of the year. For me, in the end, there's only so much shooting that I can take before it just becomes boring and repetitive. Um, it had for, uh, about halfway, actually, an hour into the film, so halfway through the big shootout portion of the film, it just started to all blur together, and I was just wondering how much more was left. Looking at my watch, I was like, is this? Yeah, okay. Crap, we have another half hour. All right. Um, so that 85 minutes felt way longer to me. I mean, this easily could felt, felt like a two-hour movie just because it was drawn out. For an 85-minute film, it was really... It, it, the, an extended shootout sounds like it would be fun, but sit there and watch an hour of people shooting and it, it becomes kind of numbing. And it could be that that was Ben Wheatley's point was to, you know, show how, how casual uh, and desensitized viewers have gotten with uh, with gun violence, both in the news and on screen and, and all of that. And, uh, and sort of comment on, on, you know, that issue and kind of shed some light on it. Not necessarily making a statement one way or another, but just... Just be, just kind of bringing that to light and be like, oh, you like gun violence. Okay, here you go. And then after a while, you're just like, whoa, I don't like gun violence anymore. Shut it off. End the film. Hit the credits. Uh, and in that case, I guess it worked if that was the intention. Because for me, I'm going 2.5 out of 5 on this one. Even with my problems, even the, with the problems I have with the film, Free Fire does neatly fit within the parameters of the, you know, the risky creative moves that A24 is known for. Um, it does, as I mentioned earlier, it does bring a very distinct vision and it has it. It's, it's got that hook of essentially a feature length shootout. So it is worth checking out if you just want to see what this, what that production house is up to though. For me out of the a 24 filmography to date, this is one that I'm probably pretty unlikely to revisit. So that concludes our review of Free Fire, the latest film from A24. Just to give you a little a little heads up, next week on the Crooked Table Podcast, we're going to be talking about Dear White People. Um, both the 2014 film by uh, writer-director Justin Simeon, as well as the upcoming Netflix series created by, by the filmmaker, uh, sort of, it's sort of a review, but it's also sort of an examination of the controversy surrounding the Netflix show and that trailer and how some people lost their minds calling it racist, which leads me to believe, do they even know much about this property or are they just looking for something to get upset about? Um, this is after all a society where people are freaking out over Starbucks cups. So on a regular basis, um, but we'll delve into that next week. If you want to reach out to me directly, Robert Yanis Jr., you can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table. Crooked Table is also on Facebook and Tumblr, and I'm on Instagram. So if you want to see what I have to do there, send me an email at robert at crookedtable.com. Rate and review the show on iTunes. Also, we are now on Stitcher. So if you're big into uh, listening to podcasts that way, go and search for Crooked Table Podcast on Stitcher. Uh, the link is also in the show notes below for that. And uh, let me know what you thought of this episode. Let me know what you thought of Free Fire. Did the film work for you? Am I uh, am I on my own here in saying that it was less than effective? I know it's gotten sort of a mixed response from critics. I've seen some people on film Twitter, as they call it, really uh, say what a great time it was. And others kind of denounce it as pretty disappointing 
And uh, as you can tell from my review, I'm a little bit on the latter end. Um, but, you know, I want to hear what you guys have to say. Maybe you can convince me and, and get me to uh, see this film in a new light. Until next time, I'm Rob, and this is the Crooked Table Podcast. I'll catch you guys next week. Roll credits. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the low KED.